You've never done a Whippet? Well, I mean, I would spray it into my mouth a lot when I worked at a coffee shop, but like those were, you know, they were nitrous. But were you huffing the gas or just eating the whipped cream? No, I was just eating the whipped cream. That doesn't count. But my coworkers would actually do it. This is actually topical because I worked at a camp one summer, a non-Christian camp, where I taught filmmaking. You just talked about drugs, and now we're talking about how you were teaching kids. This is not... What, you think Jim Henson never did any fucking drugs? You think Lewis Carroll was a teetotaler? <laughs> Anyway, we had a weekly tradition called Pie Day Friday, and basically we would hand out whipped cream pies to the entire camp, and they would pie each other in the face. But we kept having trouble with the whipped cream cans. Inevitably, there would be one or two cans in every case that just didn't work. The whipped cream wouldn't come out. It was some cheap, dairy-free, off-brand shit, so everybody just chalked it up to bad quality control, but it was actually because I was doing whippet hits every time I went by the kitchen. It's just a waste of good whipped cream. Well, I would argue that whipped cream is a waste of good nitrous. The presence of the devil is very real. With homosexuality, the world is the worst that it has ever been. Hello, everyone, and welcome to How Gay Thou Art, a comedy podcast about growing up queer, Christian, and hella confused. My name is Clint Keller, he, him. I'm Jay Austin, they, them. And on today's show, we're going to be discussing one of America's most cherished rites of passage, summer camp. Well, these aren't exactly what most people think of when they think of summer camp. Uh, no. More specifically, we're going to be talking about conservative evangelical summer camps and all the craziness that comes along with them. So, Jay, how would you describe the Christian summer camp experience? Well, there are basically two types of Christian summer camp. So there are the ones that work more like regular summer camps where kids from around the country come by themselves or in small groups and stay for a week. And then there are the camps where churches will bring big groups of kids and like each church is its own team that competes in the games or whatever. Um, sometimes they'll have their own chants or flags. It's like Church Olympics. And it's definitely more on the side of church than camp. And nowadays there are also day camps as well as camps that are more politically motivated rather than spiritually. We'll talk about that a little later on. But that's not so weird, right? Churches and parachurch organizations run these things. But if you look at their website or their brochure, most of them look like classic summer camp. You've got crafts and hiking and talent shows and cabins. And four to six hours of church every day. Ah, right. And that. At these camps, every morning and evening is spent in worship or Bible study. It varies a bit from camp to camp, but basically between breakfast and lunch, you've got a morning sermon and small group Bible studies, and that's it. The afternoon will be some all-camp games or free time situation. Then after dinner, it's back to the worship center for another service. And a lot of this will be sort of campified. They'll incorporate chants and skits and games, but... All that usually leads to a sermon or a Christian motivational speaker at the end of the day. Everything about the experience of Christian camp is built to contribute to spiritual and political indoctrination. They aren't Christian-themed summer camps. They're summer camp-themed indoctrination stations. And the people who run these things are not shy about that fact. A recent survey found that 92% of Christian camp directors think that faith should be incorporated into every element of the camp experience. 
church camp is a lot more focused on growing in the Holy Spirit. It's not about having fun. It's learning about how to incorporate God into everything you do. Absolutely. There was a survey in 2016 of Protestant Christian summer camps, and almost all of them said that faith-based experiences and spiritual growth should be prioritized over having fun, promoting team-building activities, or campers' personal growth. But that's not to say that these camps aren't fun. They are. They can be. But every activity is working toward a specific goal. In preparation for this episode, I read some work by a child psychologist named Dr. Valerie Tarico, who writes about evangelicalism, and she said that the point of these camps is not to expose the children to religious experiences that humans have treasured or been subject to, but is to persuade young children to the truth of a very specific worldview. It's the same with, like, Christian colleges. Ah, uh, the old Christian summer camp to Christian college pipeline. Exactly. It's to reinforce the isolation of evangelicalism. It feels like you're leaving your small community and you're going outside of it for the first time to meet this new, diverse group of people at camp. But technically, it's still all within this secluded community that reinforces the beliefs you already hold. So everywhere you go, you think that this is the way the world is. And then once you finally leave the church, if you ever do, there's no common ground because the rest of the world just doesn't operate the way that conservative Christianity does. They want you isolated from the real world, so you just come back to what you know. Yep. Doesn't work on everyone, though. Not us. The doctor goes on to say these camps overemphasize guilt. And they often have schedules packed with high-energy activities from early in the morning to late at night. And then when campers are asked to make deeply spiritual decisions, they're overtired, emotional, and inclined to make a decision based on their feelings rather than a rational decision to follow Christ based on the mind, will, and rational emotions. End quote. The guilt she's talking about here is very real. Kids have these big emotional moments at camp and make big promises to Jesus that they inevitably don't keep over the years as they grow up. And then what does that do? It just keeps compounding the guilt. Exactly. So they rededicate themselves to Christ every year. And then you have an altar call. And then once you get back from camp two weeks later, you have this group baptism. And then there's like all of this Christian media around, quote, the camp high and don't lose your camp high. Like, stay committed to Jesus throughout the year not just when you're worshiping for 40 hours a week at camp. And the guilt wheel just circles round and round. Unreasonable spiritual commitment, failure, guilt, recommitment, failure, guilt. It never ends. You'll never be perfect enough for God. Actually, that's not true. God doesn't make such demands. You'll never be perfect enough for the evangelical church. At least no one will have to ask why I'm in therapy now. One of the things I thought about a lot while researching this is how evangelical summer camp undermines the idea of the traditional American summer camp. Because at least in pop culture, summer camp is where kids go to find themselves. Any summer camp story is a coming-of-age story almost by default. It's that first taste of independence. It's navigating new social situations. It's experiencing puppy love for the first time, but none of that is true for Christian camp. You're not there to find yourself. You're there to find God. You're not there to learn independence. You're there to learn conformity. You're not there to escape the authority of your parents. You're there to submit to the authority of God and, perhaps more importantly, God's representatives. It's literally a cult tactic. They don't want you to have a sense of self because who you are is inherently sinful. 
according to them. And the scary part is that it's really effective. Like even referencing secular camps, people talk about the camp high, right? Like you have a week of intense experiences, but it wears off pretty quickly when you go back home. Nobody actually writes to their camp friends more than once, probably. But one study found that kids who went to a religious summer camp were three times more likely to be in that same religion five years later. And study after study shows that camp has a more lasting spiritual and religious impact on kids than almost any other thing in Christianity. And I think people really underestimate that power, but I do have a few statistics that'll really drive this point home. You know I love stats. Lay them on me. About 14 million kids and adults attend more than 14,000 summer camps every year. Now that's total camps in America, not just the Christian ones. But about a tenth of those campers, those total campers, are going to conservative evangelical summer camps. And interestingly, they make up about a fifth of camp locations. So 10% of campers, but 20% of locations, which I thought was kind of interesting. I could see that. They're more rural versus like a city camp or a camp on a college campus. This stat surprised me. 39% of all American teenagers have been to a religious summer camp at least once. When was that statistic taken? Just before the pandemic, I think, pretty recently. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Not to reference a past episode here, but I'm doing exactly that. So 39% of Americans have been to a religious summer camp. And if you remember from our episode about young earth creationism, 38% of all Americans believe the earth is less than 10,000 years old. Well, now that's interesting. It really does give the impression that conservative evangelicalism is effectively reaching about a third of Americans. I'm just saying it's a similar statistic. It's just correlation. I'm not saying it's causation. Of course, but still, I mean, that's that's pretty wild. Unsurprisingly, this Christian camp business is just that. It's a business and a big one. How much money do you think the Christian summer camp industry is worth? Oh, God, I have no idea. 20 million? Oh, higher, way higher. There are probably single camps that are worth that much. Uh, 500 million? 3.5 billion a year. So I have a question that I always ask. Are these camps taxed? That's the first question you always ask. You should have been like an IRS agent or something, I swear to God. So some of them are almost certainly not taxed because a lot of them are operated directly by churches. So like think back to the stat showing how many locations these kinds of camps have, right? They have more than average. A lot of them are really small and are run by smallish churches, but the bigger ones are probably taxed unless they manage to get set up as a nonprofit of some kind, which is entirely possible. It's always the same thing with these people. And all the content used at these camps, from the workbooks to the sermons to the cabin Bible studies, it all supports a specific extremist evangelical worldview. Kids aren't going there to learn about Jesus and pray together. Like, they're being fed purity culture and anti-LGBTQAI plus rhetoric and dominionism and nationalism. It's really not about the Bible. Just get a bunch of horny teenagers together and then say, keep your hands off each other and no sex while we're all sleeping away together with no parents. Every year that I went to camp, I just knew in my heart of hearts that I was going to make out with somebody, but it never happened. I'm so sorry that you didn't get to hook up with anyone at camp. You didn't get to be the church camp makeout champ. I mean, it's not like you get a chance at these camps anyway. You're constantly being monitored. It's like a police state. It really is, though. And sometimes they set up, quote unquote, dates where you're supposed to meet up with people from the other churches. So like my camp would set me up. There, there was like a date night and they would have 
someone from the other church that would pick us up from our cabin and then we would go on like a little date to the food hall because they wanted to get you to like meet other people at churches and these people you might be meeting at Christian colleges and stuff. But really, it's just like they're just fucking with you. They're just tempting you. It's fucking crazy. Although the camps I went to didn't have anything like that. No dates. There were very few things that the boys and girls did together, like, at all. But they talked about sex all the time from the pulpit. And these are the same people, the exact same people, that are saying drag queens are sexualizing children while they get up there and scream at kids about sex for four hours a day at a summer camp. get into the history of these bad boys a bit they follow a somewhat unsurprising trajectory alongside everything else in the evangelical ecosystem first popping up in the 60s and 70s but to really understand how christian summer camp came to be what it is today we've got to take it all the way back to the beginning pop quiz what year saw the first american summer camp go uh 1902 not super far off, 1861, right in the middle of the Civil War. Oh. Mm. Great time to take the boys out for a camping trip. Frederick William Gunn operated a school for boys in Connecticut, and he took a bunch of them out for a two-week outdoor summer camp in Long Island, which, to be fair, was mostly farmland and forests at the time. Hold on. Can you imagine that today? Come on, kids. We're heading out to the wilderness of Long Island. Yeah, it doesn't really feel like camping if you can take the metro to get there. And Gunn is credited for basically coming up the concept of summer camp for kids. But nothing much happened with it for a few decades. And in 1900, there were... Fewer than 100 camps in the U.S., but by 1918, there were over 1,000. Okay, so this is really when it starts becoming a thing. Right, and the reasons why echo a lot of the same fears that evangelicals continue to stoke today. Now, part of it was economic. Business was booming in the early 1900s, so people had more disposable income, and they could afford to send their kids to camp until the Great Depression, that is, which, according to evangelical textbooks didn't actually happen. Check out our episode on Christian curriculum to learn why the Grapes of Wrath is actually communist propaganda. The reasons are even more unhinged than you think, honestly. But anyway, what really drove the popularity of summer camps in the early 20th century was urbanization. More people were living in cities, so boys were spending less time outside and very little time in the wilderness. And this terrified people. There was widespread panic about the next generation of boys being feminized by spending too much time with their mothers and not enough time fighting bears in the hill country. Sound familiar? Ah, uh, yes. The soy boys of the roaring 20s. If anything, this kind of rhetoric is more prevalent today. You can't look at an evangelical Facebook group or meme page without seeing a bunch of shit about biblical manhood or whatever. And this fear that masculinity will somehow disappear has been around for a very long time, obviously. Somehow, masculinity is still here over 100 years later. I don't know. But parallel to this whole rugged masculinity thing were fears of moral corruption brought on by growing up in a city, which is also something we still hear from evangelicals. This was applied particularly to summer camps for girls. Girls' camps started becoming very popular in the 1920s as a response to flapper culture. I guess people somehow thought that spending a week in the wilderness would keep their daughters from wearing short skirts and smoking cigarettes. Huh. 
Interesting. Honestly, this sounds similar to like in a league of their own, how they tried to get everyone to be like feminine and wear skirts to prove that they weren't gay. Also, that's an amazing gay show. You should go watch it. And these were religious camps? Not exactly. Christianity was so ubiquitous and so tied to concepts of morality at the time that most of these camps had a religious element by default. They would have morning prayers and things like that, but it was nothing like evangelical camps today. For all intents and purposes, they were classic summer camps run by Christians, not Christian summer camps. Oh, got it. That's kind of like the first camp I went to. There were some chants about God or whatever, but we weren't studying the Bible for six hours a day. Like it wasn't like a church camp. Exactly. These camps were big on teaching morality and enforcing gender roles was another big thing, but they weren't religiously motivated per se. They were just trying to prepare kids for adulthood. They wanted to turn the boys into men and they wanted to get the girls ready for life as a housewife. And as you can imagine, the activities offered between the boys' camps and the girls' camps were very different. I'm guessing the boys got to do all the cool shit. (laughs) Well, unless you think learning to care for a newborn is a cool summertime activity, then yes. Gag me. Sure thing. You don't have to ask me twice. (laughs) Girls' camps remained about the same for several decades, but boys' camps saw a big shift during the years between World War I and World War II. And this is when you start seeing the militaristic aspects of camp integrated instead of preparing for manhood boys camps became more about preparing boys for war and this is where all the patriotism stuff comes into flags ceremonies pledges bugles marches absolutely but after the horrors of world war ii things shifted yet again and childhood was no longer viewed as something to overcome but something to be preserved. It was precious. And summer camp was the perfect place to do that. So camp started to focus on fun instead of preparing for adulthood. And this is when we start to see the foundations of summer camp as we understand it today, at least in a secular sense, right? Camp is an escape from the real world. So that brings us up to the 1950s. But When would you guess that evangelicals started appropriating the summer camp model for themselves? Well, based on the timeline of other stuff like textbooks and schools and hell houses and just evangelical culture, I'm guessing 1960s, 70s. Is that your final answer? Uh, wait, yes? Ding, ding, ding. You're exactly right. Of course, evangelical summer camps started popping up all over the place in the 1960s. And the reasons were very similar to the ones from 50 years prior, reinforcing gender roles, demonizing city life. But then they had some new ones, too. They were fighting against racial integration and feminism and the sexual revolution. People have been doing this since forever. It's the same shit repeating itself for generations. Dude, I know. And people just keep doing it, despite the fact that these irrational fears never come to fruition. So by this point, the 60s and 70s, secular summer camps had pretty much abandoned their mission of like instilling morality or teaching life skills. They were just money-making machines that gave kids a week-long vacation away from their parents, right? So the evangelicals stepped up to fill that void in the worst ways possible. So this is where the hardcore religious shit starts happening. For sure. So now instead of summer camp, it's Bible camp. And instead of doing actual fun activities, you're listening to Bible stories and learning verses every day. And like we talked about before, these camps were masquerading as normal-ish summer camps with a Christian spin, right? But the motivations were entirely different. And in some ways, it feels like they went back to the old model, but instead of preparing kids for adulthood, they're preparing kids 
for eternity. The never-ending summer camp. And the fun stuff like crafts and hikes and all-camp games, those become almost a reward for diligent discipleship, not a given, right? And I remember very specific language around this when I was a kid. Like, all of the fun activities that actually bring kids to camp, those were presented as a bonus, basically. We were there for discipleship, and anything beyond that was just a blessing. Like, you're supposed to be grateful to get to do the activities your parents literally paid for. It's another method of control. It creates an incentive system where you have to do all the Bible work first, and then you can have fun. As a treat. So let's get to the good part where we just talk about ourselves. What was your summer camp experience like, Jay? The camp that I went to growing up, all of my family had gone to it, like my mom and stuff when she was a kid, um, because it was a youth camp. You know how there were like lodges back in the day, fraternal organizations like Lions Club? Like the Masons? Well, yeah, but this one was like a German immigrant mutual aid lodge. What what do they do there? What does that look like? It just looks like your normal lodge get-togethers. Here's the thing is, I don't know what that looks like. They're all so secretive. I've been trying to figure out what's going on in these lodges for 20 years. What is going on inside these lodges? They just sit around and just, like, eat beans. Beans? Well, and barbecue. So it's a German mutual aid lodge in Central Texas where they sit around and eat beans and barbecue and also run a summer camp. That doesn't make a lick of sense. So back in the day, there were like a bunch of German immigrants in Texas, but then the German influence died off a lot after World War One. What were those things that we used to eat for breakfast? Those little savory pastries? Oh, kolaches? Kolaches. Yes, exactly. Are those German? No, that's Czech influence. It's also in Texas. Anyway, I was doing research into the camp that they ran in preparation for this thing because I was like, this is really weird. Did I go to some sort of Nazi camp? Did you? No, it's just a life insurance company. So as part of the benefit of your life insurance, you get to go to camp. And they also have a nursing home and a dance school. And so we would put on talent shows for the old people. Quite the racket they're running there. The kids pay to go to camp and then they provide the entertainment for the old folks. And like all the old people went to the camp when they were kids. The circle of life. I started there because my mom wanted all of her kids to go there. So she used the child sport money for the summer. It was only like 150 for a week and was in Comfort, Texas. It's hot as balls. I was always doing ceramics and leather crafts and archery and riflery. I was always great at shooting guns. And we would just shoot like 22s because we were just kids. Right, right, right. So just the smallest caliber that can absolutely still kill you. I mean, maybe they were pellet guns, but I don't think that they were. Did it make a real loud noise? Yeah, but I could just be getting it confused with that summer, I also shot a bunch of my cousin's guns, you know? Sure. I mean, it is hard to keep track. I was shooting guns all the time. Was it at home? Was it at camp? Was it at a friend's house? Uh, but, well, hang on. Wait, is this was this an evangelical summer camp, though? Not really. It was run by the lodge. There was some stuff like singing a prayer before our meal, but it was more of a camp song thing. It was like, God is great, God is good, so we thank him for our, thank him for our, thank him for our food. And then you like bang on the table. And then they would like sing taps at the end of the night. Sing taps? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it actually has words and it's like, day is done, gone the sun. 
From the lakes, from the hills, all is well. Listen, I could be totally wrong about this, but I think your camp made that shit up. No, because my mom was like, you know, sing taps. But didn't she also go to this camp? Oh, wait, yeah, like 50 years prior. Okay, so I gave it a quick Google here, and we're both kind of right. There are no official lyrics to taps. It's a bugle call, but due to its popularity, people have put many different lyrics to it through the years, the most popular of which is what you were just singing, I think. Day is done, gone the sun, from the lake, from the hill, from the sky, all is well, safely rest, God is nigh. This was definitely not a church camp because there would be a camp dance. So halfway through the week, um, the girls camp would go up to the boys camp that was up on the hill and we had to do this like mile-long hike and then we would go dance oh my god okay so this is very secular it was very secular but to be fair we didn't really talk to a lot of the guys anyway we would just eat cookies all night or at least that's what i did anyway um one year when i was like 12 or 13 um me and some other girls were like changing our swimsuits and I was talking to a girl in front of me and she was changing out of her swimsuit and like how many of your childhood memories involve being naked around your peers a lot that's normal like you know like locker do guys not change in front of each other granted I was homeschooled but I honestly don't think that anyone saw me naked from the ages of like four until I was like 19. Oh, right. Homeschooled. Anyway, so the girl drops her swimsuit and I just like looked at the motion of the swimsuit, I guess. And then she was like, oh my God, you're a lesbian. And I was like, what? I didn't even know what a lesbian was at that time, I don't think, because I was so sheltered. So she wasn't like, ooh, I dropped my swimsuit. No. And they started bullying me about it and making fun of me for it and my camp counselor Nemo she was the cool one because she played three days grace while we were cleaning up our bunks and she was like you know what even if you were a lesbian it doesn't mean they should make fun of you and it was like so nice because she made it feel like it wasn't a bad thing to be a lesbian just they shouldn't be making fun of you what an affirming camp experience yeah 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 And then I went to church camp. So how many times did you go to this secular camp? So it was from 9 to 13. And you get to go for five years. And that's one week during the summer. Okay. So what about the evangelical camp? What was their deal? The more religious ones I started going to in middle school and high school. And I went to them every year. Except maybe one year when church camp overlapped with my mom putting on this big conference for church music. So she wanted me to basically be a volunteer for taking pictures family stuff so i couldn't go to camp that year was that better or worse than christian camp it was way worse but it was fine because i was serving the lord no you were serving your mom and then my mom was like oh no you loved it you were helping me worship of course you loved it i love it when parents retroactively tell you how you felt about something like no you really enjoyed that honey You wanted to not go to camp. You wanted to work for me. Were they just lying to themselves, or has the passage of time just made them the hero of their own minds? Who can say? Because we did a lot of church retreats, and I also went to a Christian school that would go on a retreat like once or twice a year, it's really hard for me to parse which ones were church camp and which ones were school camp in my memory. Um, But it was kind of the exact same thing at both. 
So we would have a lot of sermons and stuff, but I would get sick usually. Um, we would all get there and all of our friends would be, or we would get there and all my friends would be having a great time. And then I would just be off getting a migraine and at the nurse's office for who knows what, like twist my ankle at camp or something. So every year it happened. It was like a running joke. Do you think there could be, I don't know, some sort of underlying psychological explanation for this avoidant behavior if you want to pay my therapy bills you can say it it just feels like if you wrote this into a movie it would be too obvious like oh i twisted my ankle guys sorry i'm gonna have to miss dodgeball oh bummer no like dead ass it wasn't on purpose and i would just miss out and all my friends would have these great inside jokes and they would laugh about them all year long and i would just Oh, Jay was sick that day. So what uh, What did a day look like at this camp? What was the vibe? We would have swimming and water games between churches, but all the girls would have to wear shirts. Really? So you didn't just do like different times for boys and girls? No, because there were like swimming sports between churches. So there would be a relay or something. And yeah, so there would be 300 kids and we'd all be around and the drama would go down. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's just high school kids in swimsuits, but the girls would have to wear t-shirts and in solidarity, the youth leader made only the ripped guys wear t-shirts. Wait, so only certain guys had to wear shirts? Yeah, they just didn't want to cause the girls to stumble. So there were just like maybe two or three guys that the youth leader made them wear shirts, but most guys didn't have to. Sorry, bud. Those pecs are just really popping today. You're going to have to put a shirt on for this game, my man. Straight up. I don't know how you don't just have everyone do it, right? How do you single out specific people? What's the metric? What is the ripped threshold? Like, was there a giant gap between the ripped dudes and the non-ripped dudes? Or were there people who were like right on the cusp you know like i just don't think you're ripped enough joe you hit the gym a little more maybe next year you can be a t-shirt guy too it was mainly like the guys who wanted to be in the worship band that were the most popular kids of the youth group like the most suburban like the doctor's kids the rich kids those kind of people yeah because they were the only ones who had enough time and money to go to the gym i was mowing fucking yards right I was mowing my own yard since I was 12. Oh, you want to lift weights? Here's a weed eater. Carry that around all day. So there was this thing called the spirit paddle. How kinky. It was like a full-sized rowing paddle, like for a boat. And the big thing was all the churches were trying to win it. So there would be people from different churches and there would be like at ultimate frisbee or like the football thing with the ribbons um flag football yeah flag football pretty obvious name i feel like it could be ribbons yeah but people who play football are tough jay they wouldn't be caught dead with a ribbon anyway the whole point was you were supposed to sing songs and like see who can praise the loudest and chant over the other churches so they would make up like songs for their youth group and some churches got really into it they would chant it on their way to every single activity were these like religiously motivated chants there was one youth group that was smaller, maybe like 25 to 50 kids, as opposed to our youth group that had brought like 300. Jesus Christ, there were like 12 people in my youth group. There was probably about 100 to 150 on a given weekday, but we would invite all of our friends to go to camp with us. We took our entire youth group to summer camp one year, and we only took up one cabin. Well, two cabins, one girl's cabin, one boy's cabin, but still. Yeah, we were not that group. 
the smaller group got poster board and made like a, I don't even know, like a pirate shit because they were dressed up like pirates. But also I think that there was a Jesus walking on water element to it and they had like a camp champ for that. But anyway, one more thing about the spirit paddle and then I'll shut up about it. Because we didn't want to win the spirit paddle, and by we, I mean specifically my youth leader. All the kids wanted to, but my youth leader thought it was stupid. So some of us really wanted a chant, and we came up with it. And it was, we don't need a paddle. We we got a motorboat. So what did your summer camps look like? So I went to two different camps. The more traditional one is called the Wilds. It's in North Carolina, very popular. It's like way up in the mountains. And it's a classic summer camp in a lot of ways, except for the six hours of Bible study every day. There was hiking and crafts and activities, but like it was kind of a ripoff because you had to pay for everything once you were at camp. Like the crafts and stuff weren't even included. I had to pay for every piece of leather or whatever I was using to make stuff. What the... So no spirit paddle. Yeah, definitely no spirit paddle. We had teams, but it wasn't divided up by churches or anything like that. It was just three big teams divided up by cabin groupings, I guess. Your camp sounds a lot more contemporary, honestly. Like, we had no music aside from classical hymns. There were some camp chants, but no instruments other than the piano. But the preaching there is very intense. Very hellfire and brimstone, sexual purity, homosexuality, drinking, drugs, like everything was about scaring the kids straight. And I recently looked at their statement of faith on their website, and they hold some very specific beliefs. A lot of it's boilerplate that you see from evangelicals all the time, like comparing homosexuality to bestiality and incest. But they also made a point to include things like young earth creationism in the camp's statement of faith, which feels so irrelevant. At one of the Christian camps that would recruit at our college, they wouldn't even let you be a counselor if you believed that gay Christians could even be a thing. Oh, yeah. And you have to sign a statement of faith affirming all of that to work at the wilds, I'm sure. Which is wild because there's gay priests, gay pastors, gay elders, gay bishops. Anyway, gay Christians exist. Stop trying to erase them. I'm not saying I'm one of them, but they do exist. But, I mean, I have to say, I, I enjoyed it at the time. Like, I had a very emotional experience during one of my summers there where I rededicated my life to Christ during the big Friday finale. And I really can't overemphasize that these camps are more akin to a revival than a summer camp. Like, it is a spiritual, intensive program designed to manipulate children. Absolutely. Unlike you, I usually went by myself or with like one other person. Um, but then when we went to the IFB church and I was in high school, the whole youth group went together and the youth pastor, Brother Danny, he went as well and stayed at camp all week, which I thought that was really weird. Oh, yeah. All of our youth pastors went and we also had like parent chaperones. We had so many people. Yeah, but it was just one of those situations where he trusted us so little that he wouldn't even send us to a church camp without being able to supervise us himself. But the other camp that I went to is a little more interesting, I think. I spent two summers at Patrick Henry College in Virginia. Now, if you don't know what that is, it is an ultra-conservative evangelical university that some people call God's Harvard. 
And their whole thing is preparing people for politics. They're trying to nurture evangelical kids and high schoolers to go into government work specifically. Like that's the whole shtick of the college. When I was in high school, they started doing summer camps. And these were all topical, right? So you could choose something like a debate camp, a forensics camp. It was all educational. And their goal is not religious indoctrination. It's political indoctrination. And I went there two different summers. Uh, one year I did debate camp. And then the other year I did strategic intelligence, which is better known as Christian spy camp. You went to Christian spy camp? You took this long to bury the lead? Tell me everything. So it was a sleepaway camp on Patrick Henry College campus, and it was led by an alleged former NSA spy. And there were a handful of other speakers throughout the week, too, from other government agencies. But the main guy gave off, like, hip youth pastor vibes and not spy vibes at all. Like, I don't see him blending in anywhere except a megachurch. But to be fair, the government should probably be spending significantly more time surveilling Christian extremists. So maybe that was his gig. Could you imagine being in the CIA and be like, I think I might go start a youth camp today. I don't think he started it exactly. He was just the leader of the program that year. Oh, uh, I got it. So he's like the keynote speaker of Christian spy camp. I just want to know, was he an actual spy? It's, uh, that's debatable. At the time, I definitely thought he was a real spy. Whether he was or not... Who can say? I mean, Patrick Henry College is really well connected, so it wouldn't be surprising if they pulled a real NSA agent of some kind. But you also have to keep in mind that most spy work these days is online and hella boring. So, you know, this guy was no James Bond. He tried to be cool, but he was such a square. One day he was using the Bible to talk about morality in spycraft so like is it acceptable for a christian to lie or kill or steal in the interest of national security so he goes through like all of these things and finds justification for each of them in the bible and most of it was pulled from like israel's military campaigns in the old testament and as we go along he's writing all these words on a big collegiate whiteboard that has those like sliding panels so you can reveal more info as the lecture goes along it's like murder, theft, lying, etc. Then after he goes through all the words, he slides all the panels to the side and reveals the word sex written in huge letters across the entire whiteboard. And he's like, so does that word make some of you guys uncomfortable? Like it was some big mic drop moment or something. But then he goes on to explain that all of these other sins are totally permissible for spies, but using sex in spycraft can never be biblically justified. He literally argued that murder is fine, but using sex to get information is not. Oh, right. So ending a life is fine, but sex for information. Absolutely. It was just a way to prop up purity culture, really. And it's it's just mind boggling that people actually believe God is more cool with murder than sex, regardless of the motivation. But overall, I mean, Christian spy camp is pretty dope. We got to go on missions. All the counselors would be in character. There would be dead drops. I got caught and interrogated at one point. They did a big campus-wide game of Clue that was very cool. And I liked that the religious aspects were minimal. They really didn't seem to give a shit about your theology as long as you supported extremist conservative politics, which I did at the time. But looking back, it feels darker because even though faith wasn't at the center of the programming, they consistently tied Christianity and conservatism together, which is something we see the religious right do all the time now. Just a few weeks ago, during the 2022 midterms, I saw dozens of Christian leaders say that it's 
impossible to be a faithful Christian and vote for a Democrat. And so Patrick Henry was a little more forward-thinking than a place like the Wilds in this respect, because the more traditional evangelical summer camps will have altar calls and opportunities for kids to get saved and convert, right? But but Patrick Henry College understood that 99% of the kids attending these camps are already Christian, so they didn't waste any time on that. They focused on binding Christianity and conservative politics together. Right. It was all about young brainwashing. So I guess as a spy camp, that makes sense. Oh, wow. Yeah. It never even crossed my mind that they would try to brainwash me at spy camp. It feels so obvious. Why did they start this camp originally? Was it to train to just immediately join the military once they turned 18? No, it isn't military focused. It's just politically focused. And the purpose of the camp is just to recruit high schoolers into the college. And the purpose of the college is to facilitate a conservative evangelical takeover of the United States government. And you will never guess who is a major contributor to the original $9 million needed to start the college. Wait, is it the old Timmy boy? Tim motherfucking LaHaye. God damn it. Every episode, I swear to God, we got to go back through and like compile all of the moments of us talking about Tim LaHaye because he has come up in almost every episode that we've researched and it's a little uncanny we cannot escape that asshole one funny thing that i did when i went to camp there so we were allowed to bring laptops if we wanted to because it was very academically focused especially the debate camp that i went to and you might need to write up arguments or mission briefs or whatever right and i took my gigantic 17 inch dell laptop along with a stack of blank cds and the week before camp i got on itunes and i bought a bunch of different music like stuff I had never even heard, but it was popular on the charts because I thought I might meet someone there and I could burn them a CD to remember me by. Aw, have yourself a little bit of love at Christian Spy Camp. And I could write my phone number on it, you know, how cute would that be? But by a strange turn of events, I didn't make any lifelong friends at the Patrick Henry College Conservative Evangelical Spy Camp. Before we wrap up, let's take just a second to talk about the social pressures of evangelical summer camps. Spy camp was different, but at most of these camps, there is tremendous pressure to have intense religious experiences. And if you aren't having these experiences, then you aren't fully connecting to the divine. And this was real to the point that I was never fully convinced I'd had those experiences at all. Like, I rededicated my life to Christ at the Wilds one year, but I never knew if it was real or if I was just getting caught up in the moment. Of course, now I understand that literally everyone was just being caught up in the moment. I got really weird towards the end of high school. So at youth camp, there would be like thousands of kids there. And I would be dancing, like spiritual dancing, where you just like spin around and stuff because you're feeling the glory of the Lord. And I would pray for people and stuff because I wanted to be the best church kid, most holiest there. And so I would go up to people during worship and pray in tongues. And no one else is praying in tongues because it's a Baptist church camp. Also, we would act out these weird passion scenes to a Lifehouse song. So everyone was dressed in black, stabbing this guy, and then he would come back from the dead. It was... How avant-garde. I didn't even realize Lifehouse had a connection to evangelical stuff until recently. Like, I thought they were just a shitty band from the aughts. I think it was the song Everything by Lifehouse. 
Everyone always cried. It was very intense. Totally off my radar. This uh, does remind me of another CD burning story, though. And uh, I actually think this is probably the beginning of a path that led directly to me selling weed in college. But when we were going to the IFB church in high school, we lived in a very rural area, right? And high-speed internet was not a thing there yet. It was dial-up only, even in like 2007. But my dad had a real estate office over in the next town, and he did have high-speed internet there. So... Since we were homeschooled, we would go there to do our schoolwork on certain days so we could have access to the internet. And then I discovered LimeWire. So I started downloading everything, movies, music, porn, and I would burn all this shit onto DVDs and then smuggle them to my friends at church. I was like the sole proprietor of secular music and movies for like... 20 kids. R-rated comedies were the most popular, of course. Super Bad was the number one request. And this was back in the day when people still had computer rooms, right? So these kids would wait until their parents went to sleep and sneak into the computer room and watch a shitty cam recording of Super Bad at 3 a.m. Yeah, I would do that too, but just to play Neobots. Same energy. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm happy I did that. It was a goddamn community service. Media for the people, dude. So is that it? Anything else to add? I just want to mention that these Christian camps can be eye-opening for kids in a good way. How so? Well, so when you go to these, there can be a lot of diversity depending on which camp you go to. And so like, even though everyone is Christian, there will be people from all over, different viewpoints, different cities. Sometimes there will be more liberal churches, more conservative churches. If you grew up in a particularly extreme church like you did, camps like this might be the only time you're exposed to more accepting versions of Christianity or people from other parts of the world. I am definitely idealizing this because this didn't necessarily happen for me, but I just do think that it was a way to get out of the house for a weekend away from a very bad situation for me. So I saw camp as like refuge for a week. And I think that that can be really important because isolation is what gives these churches a lot of power over people's lives. And any exposure that starts to crack that facade is a step in the right direction. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not convinced it outweighs the indoctrination that happens while they're there, but... If the kids believe all that shit anyway, I guess it doesn't really matter. Exactly. Well, I guess that just about does it. Uh, Don't send your kids to evangelical summer camp, dudes. Just send them to a regular summer camp so they can actually have fun. Jay, where can people find us? We are How Gay Thou Art on all platforms, mainly Twitter and Instagram. You can also find us at HowGayThouArt.com and on Patreon. We really have a monopoly on that name. Yeah, we do. I monopolized it everywhere I could. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We will be back here in two weeks for our season one finale. We're diving into the topic that probably fucked us all up the most, purity culture. Stay gay, kids. I think we should just come up with our own spirit paddle chant. Yeah, we should get a spirit paddle. I mean, I've got a nice handmade paddle in the bedroom. Can we just endow it with the Holy Spirit? Yeah, like how you bless holy water.